You're listening to What's Wrong With This Picture? Freaky Films and Why We Frickin' Love Them. Hi, I'm Lindsay McCullough. And I'm Gary Mulholland. And in each episode of What's Wrong With This Picture, we'll be looking at a movie we think is weird and wonderful. We sometimes do include the endings where it's key to what the film is, so please be prepared for that. So anyway, buckle up and join us on a journey to dangerous cities, suburbia and other fantasy worlds. It's going to be a wild ride. In this episode, we're going to be discussing The Duke of Burgundy. It's a 2014 erotic drama slash comedy written and directed by Peter Strickland and starring Sidza Barrett-Nudson as Cynthia and Shara Dana as Evelyn. The music is by Cat's Eyes and the extraordinary cinema photography is by Nick Nolan. Lindsay, what's this about? In an idealised rural village where there are no men, no one has a job and the hottest ticket in town is a lecture about butterflies, Evelyn and Cynthia play a sexual game of mistress and servant. But as the rules and rituals become as strict and unforgiving as a bondage corset, who's really in charge? Gary, what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> Cheers. Um, yeah, it's... Um, it's <laughs> what's wrong with this picture? Ah, you haven't already mentioned it in a couple of sentences. Um, it's a very strange type of romantic comedy. <laughs> um, it, it, it is a romantic comedy, but it, because I think in some ways what's so brilliant about it is, is it follows some of the beats of a romantic comedy. There is a couple, they seem very happy. One of them starts to be less happy. One of them maybe cheats. Mm. Then they get sort of back together and realise that there's more important things. And it's kind of like, well, that's the beats yeah. of a romantic comedy. However, what's happening is, you know, people are sitting on each other's faces and, you know, and, and locking themselves into boxes under desks, yeah. under beds and, and having very strange conversations about whether they should, you know, have the the under the bed model or the, the strapped to the bed model, you know, or whatever. And, um, and as you say, it is set in a world, and you had to point this out to me as the weirdness, <laughs> where there is not a single man, where everybody, every woman, appears to be gay, and where it's either nobody works or the only job <laughs> is lecturing about butterflies. Yeah. I'm not sure which is weirder. <laughs> There is there is one woman who gets to be a carpenter and That's she right, uh, actually. she makes all You're the right. the equipment that um, Cynthia and Evelyn need in their in their play. I think uh, there is something about the world that's been created. Sorry if I'd, uh, I said everything in the plot that that, that, yeah. that was in your weirdness. <laughs> <laughs> you why I order <laughs> listeners, we do not practice this or rehearse it in any way. <laughs> but I think I think what's weird about the uh, the picture is is the world that's been created. So it's this, yeah. it's kind of this as I say this idealised rural village. Um, everyone's into butterflies. And, and the lectures seem to circulate. So some people kind of give the lectures. Mm. Some people are kind of apprentice lecturers. Um, but yeah, there's there's butterflies. Uh, there's a character called the carpenter who makes bespoke sex beds. Um, in the audience of the lectures for the butterflies, you have to look quite quick to see this. And I only noticed it on the second go round, uh, there are visible shop mannequins who mm. are part of the audience. Mm. I think um, it's filmed to me like 
70s European porn. Yeah. It's got this kind yeah. of rural aspect, but it's slightly... Um, I am no expert on 70s Euro porn. <laughs> there may be one in the room. I don't know. Uh, what are you trying to say? <laughs> but there's something in the way it's filmed, and maybe you could you could say a bit more of that about that. Just it's it, it's slightly kind of grainy. It's slightly kind of long yes. distance shots. Yeah. Anything you can say about about how it's yeah. filmed? Yeah. Yeah. No. It it it's shot in a very seventy style. It you know I, I'm kind of thinking about um, films like. Um, possession or the shout um where where landscapes look a particular way um even roman polanski's cul-de-sac uh, it, it, landscapes and rural places look a particular kind of way there is a particular kind of graininess that sort of usually 35 mil um mm. film stock uh, lends something which was what was being used at the time and of course these days you don't have to use that you you, you know everything is digital and can look perfect um but the, the beauty uh, of this uh, particular cinematography uh, that Nick Nolan uses is that it has some of the grain and texture of a film uh, in the 70s mm -hmm. style, yet it looks absolutely sumptuous. Yeah. Um, and it, it feels like a blend of the two things. Colours are gorgeous. Colours are so gorgeous that, you, you you know, scenes come on and you almost go, oh. <laughs> um, it. It really is a beautiful, beautiful film to look at, as Peter Strickland's films are inclined to be. And, um, and yeah, the, the off-kilter nature of this world, which is often delivered quite subtly, um, in this kind of off-hand way of, of like, yeah, you know, um, this whole scene is, is, is taking place with, you know, you know, one woman sitting on another woman's face. and But, but this is not... This is not shot like I don't know nineties erotic yeah, thrillers yeah. or 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 twenty twenty three. It it's shot. It, it there is you you say Euro vintage porn and seventies porn and I I'm not I'm not going to pretend I am an expert but I'm not pretending I've never seen any. There was a tendency to have a lot of stuff about the the upper you know there was a lot of class things, particularly in porn from Italy and, and you know, Spain and, and that sort of thing, where, you know, it was shot in some country house and all the men were wearing suits. Yeah. And there were maids. And, you know, uh, it's shot like that. There, it, there is an element of that. But, of course, with no men in it, it lacks that feeling of, you know, I don't know, patriarchy and yeah. male gaze and, and, yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Which is very clever. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think... Um so it, it starts with Evelyn kind of cycling through this wood and she arrives at a door and then the door is opened by Cynthia, played by, to my eyes, an astoundingly beautiful Ray. Sidsy. We love her. Sidsy Barrett-Nudson. Sidsy Barrett-Nudson. I, I should say I struggle with her name because... For years, I have called her Borgen. She we was both in, called her Borgen. We both called her Borgen. She was in a Danish TV show called Borgen, which is Danish for Parliament, and she plays the Prime Minister. And we just always called her Borgen yeah. as, a, as a shorthand. Because so, we're lazy bastards, yeah. and she had three names, <laughs> and we thought, should we just call her Borgen? <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm sure Danish people will be very insulted by the fact that one of their greatest actors of a generation has just been called Parliament by <laughs> yeah. us for the last... You know, have a million years. <laughs> anyway, she is luminously beautiful in, in to my mind in in, yeah, in this in this film, and uh, she plays Cynthia. So when Cynthia opens the door, she immediately says to Evelyn, "You're late," and 
in this beautiful accent, absolutely mm, beautiful yeah. accent. I, I, I am, I am a bit like, oh, she's so lovely. Yeah, I'm right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful Borgen. <laughs> <laughs> it's the mother of all Borgens. <laughs> <laughs> so, in this in this scenario, Evelyn is is very much the the sub to Cynthia's dom. But as becomes clear, I'm going to use a term here that I learned from The Sopranos, Evelyn bottoms from the top, i.e. Yeah. she is really in charge of, of of the relationship to the point where it is kind of very strictly codified and Cynthia is bought clothes to wear. So it kind of adds to this, when is this film kind of set? Because yeah. it could be the 50s, it could be modern day. Yeah, it could be last it week. It could be the 50s, yeah. <laughs> but um, So she wears kind of quite classic underwear, stockings, suspenders, none of it is tacky, all of it looks expensive. And it turns out that Cynthia has bought this, no, sorry, Evelyn has bought this for Cynthia. So Evelyn is the one kind of pulling all the strings, Yeah, but she likes to be, not just likes to be, has to be kind of sexually submissive in every every opportunity. So this sex bed that they're looking to buy is one, as you say, where she can either kind of be in a drawer underneath and Cynthia just sleeps on top of her, or there's kind of various other options. But in the end, they can't afford this. I mean, this is a bespoke Mm. piece of furniture. And this carpenter, she's called the carpenter, she's a female character, that's her only name. Um, And again, everyone in this film appears to be from a different country. So it does lend it that 70s (laughs) dubbed kind of thing. Everybody comes from a different country. The carpenter um, does as well. And so in the end, they can't afford this bed. And the carpenter says, well, you could always buy the human toilet. And Evelyn's eyes light up. Could we? Could we? Could we get the human toilet? And she's so uh, kind of fixed on this role that she she must play. Cynthia is not fixed in her role. Cynthia is playing this role and it's not necessarily a role she wants to play. She loves Evelyn. She wants to make her happy. But this role is not particularly making Cynthia happy. And Sidsy uh, does it so well. I called mm. her Sidsy out yeah. of respect. Yeah, yeah, well done. Well done. <laughs> she, plays, she plays it so well. I think it's a, it's a great kind of acting performance. Yeah, she's fabulous. She's absolutely fabulous. And she, and what, as you're watching it, and what, what you're feeling is, that the what this excellent script has done is kind of say, okay, you can take the most uh, unusual, you know, unconventional relationship. So, you know, hey, it's two women. It's not a man and a woman. And on top of that, um, it, you know, it's, it's all about dom and sub and bondage and fetish and blah, blah. This all seems very unconventional compared to the most conventional nuclear relationship you can have. But the things that will come between people are universal. Mm. Mm. And that's what I mean by the cleverness of the beats of so many stories about romance, so many rom-coms in particular, which where the story will be the man is really, really into something. Yeah. <laughs> the woman is just craving intimacy. Yeah. And, you know, and to be understood and heard. And becomes increasingly disgruntled with the man who is into his thing. And 
the question is, will these two crazy kids mm. come together and mm. resolve their differences and make the compromises necessary to, you know, continue their love? Or, you know, does one have to kick the other to the curb and realise what they are as individuals is more important than they are together? Yeah, yeah. And that is kind of the beat it follows. And um, and it it also is something about the fetish world, which, you know, I think Peter Strickland's definitely done his research, which is if you if you read about S&M relationships, one of the things that comes out is, you know, from the outside, superficially, it looks like the dom mm. is in charge for obvious reasons. Whether the dom is male, female, you know, whatever gender they are, whatever sexuality they are, you know, the dom is in charge. It's actually not true. The sub is in charge because it's the sub, if this relationship is going to last, that has to lay down the boundaries of what feels like submission mm. Mm-hmm. with consent and what feels like abuse. Yeah. And th- therefore they don't want that. And so that idea that she said, the power is coming from the bottom is, you know, is, is brilliant. You know, it, it's, that's kind of what's going on. If a Dom sub relationship is going to last for any length of time, and particularly if it's going to be a couple thing, yeah, you know, and you're actually going to be sharing your life as well as, so, the the, the dominant you know the domination of Evelyn where Evelyn is in charge comes out in ways where it really puts my hackles up at one point you know um Borgen uh Nudson uh um is uh Cynthia is kind of walking around the house and she's just got on you know yeah comfortable clothes that any person would wear at home when they're lounging and you know she turns around to her and says I can't believe I spent all that money on on you know yeah. on gorgeous clothes for you and and this is how you repay me. Yeah. And can, and you immediately go can you imagine a man in yes. a film? Yeah. In life saying that to a woman yeah. and you'd be furious at at him and see him as all kinds of bully and it's kind of like Evelyn is. Yeah. Evelyn is a bully. She is absolutely a bully. So there's there's a scene that happens where Cynthia's is kind of saying to her I don't know about this and it turns out that this scene is actually a scripted scene. So yeah, that's it right. looks yeah, like yeah, it looks yeah. like Cynthia is just saying this and kind of standing up for herself and saying this back. But this is part of the scripted scene of their relationship. So Evelyn gets off on this and then immediately says, Can you put a bit more heart and soul into it next time? And so you know, she's getting notes. She's getting notes. She's getting notes even as she's And uh, so it's it's no wonder that Cynthia is, is starting to tire of this. Yeah. And there's a midpoint in the film, or maybe towards it later than, than midpoint, where Evelyn kind of softens a little and kind of says, you know, I do want to be with you and uh, you know, let's let's yeah. let's try another way. But gradually, gradually, yeah. gradually these things are coming back in and Evelyn is kind of insistent on them. Yeah. And there's a, a certain sense of repetition. So more than once we see Evelyn go to the door, we see Cynthia open the door and say, you're late. And then you yeah. know, there's a it's list a of gag. household tasks that Evelyn must perform yeah. while uh, Cynthia puts her feet up and eats, and eats chocolates. And so, as you say, on the surface, it looks very much like Cynthia's getting everything that she wants. Actually, Cynthia's getting very little of that what she, she wants, wants yeah. um, out of this relationship. And, and also, you know, in, in that second act, as things are beginning to unravel between them more, yeah. and, and basically the second act is Cynthia starts to fight back, <clears throat> i.e. starts to assert herself mm-hmm. more and more and make it obvious that, that you know, Evelyn can't just have everything she wants. Um, 
one of the ways that she punishes her is acting out this ritual they have with crappy clothes on. Yeah. <laughs> and refusing to do certain things and punishing her by not punishing her. Yes. Yeah. And it's so clever. It's yeah, it's it's kind of like the psychological mindfuck of I'm not giving you your punishment actually is not giving you the punishment yes. that you want. Yeah. That's the punishment. This is the true domination. Yeah. And Evelyn's just like you can see she's like, fucking hell. I really feel like I'm being abused. You know? <laughs> this is unacceptable. Yeah, it's 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 clever. It's a clever spin on what breaks couples up. Yeah, yeah. But I think you know you mentioned this is by uh, Peter Strickland, and and that's mm. it's. I don't know loads of his films. I've seen three, I think, including this one. Um, and, and that's kind of what he does is he takes those genres and just kind of spins them yeah. slightly. So yeah. Barbarian Sound Studio. Which is the only other Strickland that I've personally seen. Right. Okay. So, you know, in that one, it's again, very kind of 70s. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's about a, a, a sound effects guy who's kind of involved in this giallo Italian yeah. horror film yeah. and just kind of gradually disintegrates. Yeah. Um, and it's a spin on horror. Yeah. Which is... And it's a meta horror because he's making horror yeah. as he's being involved in a horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And that's, and that's a great film. That's Toby uh, Toby, Toby Jones, Jones. Is, is in that one. Um, the most the most recent one I've seen is is one called In Fabric, which I think is from 2019. I guess also a horror film, perhaps, but it's um, it's about a haunted red dress, and so this this dress is purchased and kind of has an impact on whoever on whoever wears it, um, and it's slightly. I really like the film actually, and I, I think it's it's a great use of the language that Peter Strickland often kind of uses mm. is his love of language. So um, in in fabric, the wash uh, the red dress has gone in the washing machine. It's buggered up the washing machine, yeah. and a plumber is diagnosing a broken washing machine full of technical terms like drain holes and rivets. A woman is practically fainting in ecstasy behind his back at the use of this technical language. So it's this kind of British version of Cronenberg's crash, you know, that kind of sexual yeah, gratification yeah. from mechanicals. Um, and there's another scene in a, an amazing uh, department store, mm. again staffed by various people from various kind of regions of Europe. And so uh, Marianne... Uh, Jan Baptiste, who's the lead in this film, at least for part of the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm. she's she's gone into uh, this the shop, and uh, it's a very odd looking department store, really old fashioned department store. And so someone comes up and says, "May I help you?" You know, in a, in, in a very fancy way. And she says, "Oh, just looking, thank you." And the um, shop person replies, "The hesitation in your voice soon to be an echo in the recesses <laughs> of the spheres of retail." And everybody in this awesome. department store talks like that and it's a real kind of feature of that that's awesome so i think there's something about peter strickland and his his kind of his ideas about taking these tropes these genres and just there's quite there's a bit of david lynch about him isn't there yes even from the two films i've seen First and foremost, he's a person that doesn't entirely see the world the way we see it. Yeah. And he's determined to write and direct films that see the world the way he sees it. Yeah. And this world is skewed somewhat 
it isn't necessarily about nice randy, ran, um, nice linear storylines and plots that yeah. make literal sense for a start. Um, and it's also very time slippy. So you're watching, like David Lynch, you're watching a film thinking, is this set in the 50s? Is yeah. this set in the 80s? Yeah. Is this set in the 19th century? Is this set last week? Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. And um, But it still makes sense. It's not just random chaos. Um, they, if they feel... Both the films I've seen of his feel very not random. They feel very, very planned yeah. and constructed and and they make sense. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a really interesting filmmaker, actually. So his first film <clears throat> was in 2009 called Catalin Varga. Mm. Um, so he lives in Hungary, actually. The uh, right. Duke of Burgundy was filmed in Hungary and he lives in, he lives in Hungary. And his debate in 2009, he had some money, I think, from an inheritance and he was like, Shall I buy myself a one-bedroom flat in Bracknell or shall I make a revenge film in Transylvania? Well, when you put the choice that way. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Have you ever been to Bracknell? <laughs> I'd rather be in Transylvania. Yeah, On you. the whole, I'd rather be in Transylvania. <laughs> so this, this weirdness extends to the credits as well. So I don't know if you noticed. I mean, obviously, we do see a lot of butterflies in this film throughout the butterfly lectures and everyone's got kind of pinned and mounted butterflies uh, in their homes. So after the cast of actresses in the credits is a cast of featured insects in order of appearance. Mm. There's also the name of the perfume that Cynthia wore. My favourite. <laughs> and my favourite is there's also a human toilet consultant, just to make <laughs> sure those details are correct. And that's the thing about him, isn't he, Peter Strickland? You know, from both both of those films are funny that I've seen. Um, but you, you're watching them and it's not knockabout comedy. So you're not sitting there thinking... Oh, I better watch the close, you know, the credits because this is like airplane, you know, like there's going to be these really knockabout gags in the credits. I've got to sit and watch the credits right to the end. Uh, but in point of fact, the credits yeah. are really funny. Yeah. And uh, the, he is a director where you want to watch the credits right to the end. And there is a there's a reason why he works so well with actors and actresses that have a bit, bit of a comic background and definitely have comic talent. Mm. Uh, Sidney Nudson. Um, began as a, a as the star of a TV improv comedy really? in Denmark yeah wow. at the end of the 90s that's her background um and there is the film is very dependent for me um for its subtle humor on her ability to just subtly change mm. her, it's comic timing yeah you know that comic timing of a a shrug or a sneer or whatever that that's subtly delivered but says so much yeah. And um and she's an absolute master of that. Yeah. And I know I know you want to talk about some of the influences, but I, mm. I just wonder I I she's she's I think hers is the better performance it, it than, is. than 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 Evelyn's. I think it's a little unbalanced. I think she's absolutely astounding and I think the, the you know you know the one yeah. that plays her, Evelyn Evelyn is okay. And I, I I think, unfortunately, that does have an impact on the film because it does. you can see why Evelyn would want to be with Cynthia. It's sometimes hard to see why Cynthia would yeah. want to be with Evelyn, given that you know the the the, the sexual relationship they have or the sexual dynamic mm. that they have is not particularly to, to Cynthia's taste. And so, you know, she's in a village full of women. You'd think there'd be other I choices, don't know, but 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 it's only one. They don't appear to have any escape out of this village. So That's maybe true. it's a bit like the prisoner. There's that a limit. There's true. a limited. You know, kind of stock. That is that is true, because um, I was just thinking, you know, as as a as a heterosexual woman, mm. uh, I'm 
I'm, I'm not I'm not a lesbian. And yet this village, would it appeal to me? I don't no. know. I mean, you don't have to work, it yeah. seems. People who have big houses and ride around on bikes, I'd quite yeah. like that. You're right in the middle of nature, I'd quite like that. Yeah. Lectures on butterflies, I could probably take or the leave. The fetish lifestyle? I'd give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> you usually, I think you need a little bit more commitment than that. <laughs> Well, you know what? Yeah, well, I'll give it a go. But is that is that uh, poor Sidney Nudson's uh, problem in the film? Yeah, she's turned around to him and said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll give, give it, it a go. go." I'm getting nice underwear. I'm getting yeah. I'm getting kind of nice pencil skirts. You cook my dinner. Yeah, and you know, apparently that turns you on. Yeah. So you know, and you, you you scrub my floors. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'll give it a go. But I suspect, as you say, that it's, uh, <laughs> I might I might lack the uh, full on. Commitment, throbbing passion that such a relationship <laughs> might might require. Um, there, there's, I, I was what did want to mention an influence because it, it's just really interesting that he, you know, he Pete Strickland should talk about this out loud and and just about the plethora of influence he does have and and how they're not what you expect. So he's um, referenced a Spanish filmmaker uh, called Jesus Franco, who is a cult figure who directed around 200 exploitation movies between 1959 and his death in 2013. This is very, very cheapo, uh, low-budget exploitation. Um, Titles include Vampiros Lesbos, (laughs) Revenge of the Alligator Ladies, and Around the World in 80 Beds. (laughs) So, you know, no, this is not the high end of of postmodern B-movie making. This was... Exploitation yeah. movie making. Yeah. However, Strickland talks about the look of those films yeah. and how they actually had a real style to them, despite the fact that they were maybe no money. And uh, the nice sort of tail end to this is that uh, uh, making appearance in a film is a woman called Monica Swin. Um, she was one of Jesus Franco's um, collaborators, uh, on screen collaborators. And uh, this was her first film role in over 30 years because she Aww. had retired. Uh, and he went and he tracked her down and he asked her to be in the film and she was. That's quite nice. Um, so I think that was incredibly genuine. Um, yeah. You know, not some kind of ironic reference that he just plucked out of yeah. the, the yeah. ether. Um, I, I, and the one thing I wanted to run by you, because I know this, I know you know this. Um, one, one of the things I found myself thinking about when I watched the film a second time was The League of Gentlemen. Yeah. And in specifically, this running kind of sketch series that they had, where Mark Gattis was the husband in a swinging relationship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he, the wife was absolutely driving it. And she, this is what she wanted. And the house was full of people around to shag. Yeah. Uh, in all sorts of get-ups, and he was dressed up in, I don't know, I think he was dressed up in kind of, not a gimp's outfit, but something sort of similar, or maybe <laughs> even a bit of, you know, a kind of lingerie or something. And every time, you know, they'd have an interaction, and he, he'd say, yes, dear, and then the camera would linger on him, and he was absolutely distraught. Yeah. He hated every second yeah. of this, and he was doing it to please her. And I just found myself thinking yeah. of that, because this film, in the end... Is about how sometimes we we in we we interpret love we fall in love and then we interpret love as people pleasing yeah and we just do things just to please the other person yeah and then wonder why we end up so bloody miserable yeah uh, because we're not doing anything to please ourselves and um, 
and the other person is is taking it and it is not compromising and is not noticing even mm. that you're not into it yeah. and uh, or doesn't care enough to notice. And I just think that there's something about the Duke of Burgundy that captures that yeah. in this really unusual way. I think it's, in the end, it's a sad film, isn't yeah. it? It is a sad film. It's not, I, th- I think, Possibly, like like some some rom coms do feel that that kind yeah. of sad sad way, you know. That oh God, there's one with Amy Schumer called Trainwreck where oh I've not seen it. Oh, it's terrible. It's, <laughs> she starts off as one person, like she 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 falls for this guy who's a sports writer. She doesn't know anything about sports, and by the end she's dressing up as a cheerleader. Oh, it's just kind of like oh God, but that's so Amy sad. Schumer, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good anyway, Lord. um, so yeah, this this film. <laughs> don't know why I got into that. This wow, this, this film has a has a sadness to it because, yeah, just that incompatibility. And I I do wonder sometimes if if gay men do it better. I know I've told you the story, mm. but you know, I, I I live in Brighton, and obviously a big gay scene, kink scene, everything here. And I did see a guy, two guys walk in. One was in a full on gimp suit mm. on a lead, mm. walking upright, not on all fours, but um walking upright on a lead and they were having an evening stroll this wasn't in a nightclub this was uh, like on the top of the seafront at about six in the evening as the sun was going down and it's like you know what that is the kind of commitment you need to make this this kind of lifestyle work wow and poor old Cynthia does not have that I think I think you're right no she doesn't want to walk Evelyn around on a lead at six o'clock at night in the village yeah um and um yeah I it's it's a, a fabulous film because it's, you know, and I, and I sort of say this because it's, it's, it's true. I watched it once. I really loved it. And I, I got back to Lindsay because it had been Lindsay's suggestion. Mm. And I said, oh, I don't know how weird it is, though. And she just said, so there's no men in the film. Everybody's a lesbian. And all anybody talks about is butterflies. And you don't think it's weird. <laughs> I was kind of like, oh, yeah. yeah. That's really weird, right? Um, and then sort of watched it again with that, uh, you know, new eyes and kind of went, oh, yeah, absolutely. It's super weird. And it's really strangely beautiful. Yeah. And, um, but funny. Yeah. And sad. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, just, just one last thing, because I think we're probably mm. coming yeah, to the end of this, haven't so. we? Uh, it, it, in in some ways, I would say it's it's, it's probably a sl- a slighter film than maybe some of the other epics that we've looked yeah. at, and some of the other kind of maybe. absolute classics that we that, that we've looked at. None, nonetheless, interesting for yeah. that. I don't, I don't, I don't think. But um, one thing I did want to mention, which is uh, Sidney Sidney Knudsen, um has a cameo in In Fabric, Peter Strickland's other right. film. Okay. And it is the briefest of cameos. So we're in the basement of this uh, department store. A lift, an open-doored lift is going up and there's a floor just with seamstresses, seamstresses making red dresses, more presumably right. haunted red dresses. And Sidney uh, Knudsen is one of them. And you see her for maybe five seconds. Wow. It's the briefest possible cameo. She doesn't look at the camera. She doesn't have any lines. Oh. She's just one of the seamstresses. <laughs> wow. As this as this lift is going up and you don't see her face for very That's long. That's awesome. You know, you, you just said, oh, it's it's a slighter film than some of the epics we've done. And yeah, but I do think that the reason why people write love stories is because when in the end... Most of us, it's quite huge in our lives. Mm. 
you know that 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 it is the thing certainly one of the things that is most important to human life that they find someone that mm. they love and that they are in a relationship with mm. them and and that when those relationships break up or hit trouble um they they're as cataclysmic as anything that happens yeah, in your life yeah. and traumatic so yeah on the one hand mm. I, I think something like marriage story yeah okay, which we both thought is brilliant yeah, yeah. but that is Going all out to punch you in the eyes yeah. with this yeah. is the most important thing that all happens to every single one of us, etc., etc., etc. Peter Strickland's just slyer than that. Yeah. And actually, if you're watching this film, it's sad as hell. Yeah. And every bit as sad as Marriage Story. It's just not got two people screaming at each other in order to win an Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> is what I'd say. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree, and I think there is something about this this village. Does it represent suburbia or mm. the you know the shared property that people can't afford to leave and can't mm. afford to get out of relationships, or you know something else that's kind of tying them together when perhaps they should not be together? Um, yeah. And and Maybe. yeah, it does have a it does have a wider applicability, really, doesn't it? Yeah. So, what are we thinking? I, I mean, uh, is it paddles? I don't know. Box, toilet, human toilets. It's human toilets. Of course, it's human toilets. What am I even debating that? <laughs> so, this is our our scoring system. I, I feel we we often assume people just know, but we have a scoring system where we take something from the film and we mark a film out of uh, uh, ten whatevers for weirdness and for quality. So, Gary, how many human toilets for weirdness? How many human toilets for quality? For weirdness, seven, and for quality, eight. I think it's a beautiful film. Um, I plainly, it's weird for all the reasons we've talked about, but there's something strangely logical about it, and yeah. almost conventional in what it's trying to talk about. Yes, I think that's true. It's yeah, I I would agree. So I'm also going to go for eight uh, human toilets for quality because I do think uh, Sydney. Knudsen's mm. acting is just kind of off, off the, the charts, off the charts, off the chain. Um, I, I think it's a lovely idyllic view. I think it's clever. I think it's sad. So eight for quality, and I concur. Seven for weird because the weirdness is all overt. There's no under the counter weirdness. It's yeah. butterflies in human toilets and uh, a, a world without men, and it's all on the surface. Yeah. And there, there are yeah. films that we look at where the more we dig in, the weirder they, we get. I think. You see how weird this is right from the start. Yeah, so for me, yeah. seven. And the conventional is what you're digging down for. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, yeah, seven for weird, eight for quality. Definitely worth a see. And uh, don't forget to check out his other films as well. Absolutely. Um, Till next time. Till next time. What's Wrong With This Picture is brought to you by Lindsay McCulloch and Gary Mulholland and is recorded by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. Music composed and performed by Russ Keffert.